Uh, we certainly have a lot of things to praise God for. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? That's good. Excellent. You know, uh, earlier we sang the song, I'm No Longer a Slave to Fear, and uh, I have to confess to you that um, that is something that I'm really still working on, um, fear and insecurity in my life. Um, Many of you know that I used to be a youth pastor. Matter of fact, I was the youth pastor here at Twin Cities Church for over eight years. And I really want to thank you for allowing me to do that. Uh, really, it saved me a lot of money in therapy. Uh, really, most of my time spent in youth ministry was me working through all the trauma of my adolescence. And uh, the one thing that really helped me connect with students is we just all sort of agreed that I was really messed up. So... <laughs> And, uh, you know, back in high school, I was just so desperate to want to fit in. You know, I, I, I wanted so badly to be part of the crowd. I was a slave to fear. I was just so afraid that uh, I wasn't, you know, going to fit with all the others. I was painfully insecure. Uh, I happened to have the unfortunate uh, blessing of going through puberty through before most of my friends. And I remember one time in gym class, I'm sitting next to all my buddies and I noticed my gorilla legs, you know, all the hair on my legs. And I was so embarrassed that I was, you know, standing out from the crowd. So I went home that night and I found my mom's razor and I shaved my legs. <laughs> and as you can imagine, that didn't help for very long. Um, <laughs> you know, back in the 80s, it was all the rage to have beautiful, long, feathered hair. You know, everybody wanted to look like Farrah Fawcett. Um, even the guys, you know, the Bee Gees, you know, it was all about the feathered, long, beautiful hair. And so I decided to grow my hair out. Uh, unfortunately, my hair is, you know, kind of coarse and wiry, so it just grew into this poof ball. And uh, I was called things like Top Ramen Head, yeah, Helmet Head, Brillo Pad. I still have hair trauma. I mean, really, even today, I cut my hair really short. I put lots of gel on it, you know, to keep it all under control. I got so much dippity-doo, it's a dippity-don't is what it is. You know? <laughs> the uh, disco days were a time of uh, unusual fashion, um, if you were unfortunate to grow up in that time. <laughs> I don't know if you remember Angel Flight jeans. You know, Angel Flight were these, these kind of corduroy pants, and they had no pockets in the back so that you could show off your tush. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I decided, you know, in order to fit in, I'd buy me some angel flights. And so I bought these, and unfortunately, they didn't look anything, you know, as well on me as they did on Chris Anspach, our high school quarterback. Uh, let's just say he was more gifted in the tushy department. Um, so <laughs> no longer did I not even have a tush. I didn't have any pockets either, which was really just kind of ridiculous altogether. So... <laughs> And, uh, you know, you would really think that by now I would have overcome this, you know, compulsion to try to fit in these insecurities. But um, just last month, I was picking up my daughter at the high school. She's at the football field and, and playing with some friends. And I get there and I'm like, hi, dear, you know. And as we're leaving, all the kids are hopping over this short little chain link fence, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, hey, I got this, you know. <laughs> Needless to say, I ended up on my face which mortified myself and also had the privilege of embarrassing my daughter as well. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, wanting to fit in is such a big need and desire in our lives. And, you know, we have this need for belonging because we're actually hardwired to belong. And Jesus wants us 
to belong. Uh, there's a great scripture in John chapter 17 where Jesus is praying to the Father, this intimate prayer before he goes to the cross. And John 17, 21 says this. It says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us, so that the whole world will believe that you sent me. And there it is, you see. It's so beautiful. And so if you take your notes out, this is our first point, and that's that God designed us to belong in community. We're designed that way. You see, when we receive Jesus Christ, we get this unfathomable belonging. We belong to Jesus, and we also belong in community with one another. Romans 12, 4 and 5 says this, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are parts of one body and we all belong to each other. That's what it says. We belong to Christ and we belong to each other. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. And you know, as I was thinking about this and really, you know, kind of trying to contemplate what does this mean, it came to me that really to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to live in the power and the presence of community. I mean, think about this. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts of the Spirit to minister to one another. None of these gifts are for our own benefit. They're to benefit one another in community. And the fruits of the Spirit are all fruits of manifestations of the Spirit of God that are given to give out to others. It's all about giving to one another in community. You see, it's almost like God purposely designed us so that we need each other. We're dependent upon one another to help and support and to heal one another. It's beautiful. And this great transformation that happens when we come to Christ is that you see there's a death to the old, self-centered, isolated, broken life and a rebirth into a community with God and his children. You know, last week as we started this series, Pastor Ron talked to us about our call, our mission to go and make disciples and baptize them. And even baptism itself is, again, a beautiful picture of this reality that God's put us into of this death to self and a uniting with Christ and with one another as the body of Christ. And the whole purpose of this, the whole purpose of this new life is what we talked about last week. It's this. The purpose of biblical community is to fulfill our mission, to be disciples who make other disciples. And discipleship, it's a restoration of mankind to true humanity, people who together reflect the glory and the character of God. You know, see, Jesus died to set us free you know, from our sin and, and our brokenness for a specific purpose. And it's our mission that we see God's work expand and grow across the world. And so we're going to look at a passage today. We're going to look at Acts 2. Verses 42 to 47, it's a great passage because it helps us understand how this ministry and mission of Jesus began and then how it also is designed to continue on today. 
And before we kind of dig in and jump in here, I'm going to take us on a kind of virtual helicopter ride to kind of look at the context, kind of overlook the whole thing. And then we'll hop out and we'll do a little ground survey of the passage together. And so as we start, let's take a look here. Um, we know that the book of Acts was written by Luke, and Luke was a physician. He's a pretty bright guy, if you think about it. And he's traveled with Paul on several of these missionary journeys. And Luke is writing to a friend of his, and this friend is named Theophilus. And under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Luke is writing about the credibility and the power of Christianity. And so in his gospel, Luke also wrote a gospel, the story of Jesus. He tells how Jesus came to the world. And in the book of Acts that we're looking at, it explains how Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, sends his church into the world. And he makes a couple key points, a couple points of emphasis. And the first one is that these Christians, they have witnessed something absolutely remarkable, the resurrection of of Jesus Christ from the dead. They saw it with their own eyes. You see, it was proof that Jesus was who he said he was because Jesus did what only God can do. He rose from the dead. And so Luke very intentionally ends his gospel with the resurrection and begins the book of Acts also with the resurrection. Another thing that Luke takes careful attention to be able to kind of shine a spotlight at is the idea of this astonishing makeup of this Christian group, this community. And he points out just how impossible it was that all these different types of groups of people came together. And it was like all the walls and divisions that separate them miraculously fell down and a new community had been born. There's a, a, a really good passage that kind of gives a great picture of this, of what this looked like. And the Apostle Paul wrote about this in the book of Colossians. So Colossians 3, 11 to 14 says this. It says, here, there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, and humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive each other. If any of you has any grievance towards someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know, um, in recent times, you know, we see there's just been such pain and hurt over divisions in our culture. Um, it's just really horrible, and, it, and it's hard to watch. And yet in the ancient world, these divisions were even more troublesome. You see, Jews and Gentiles were separated by insurmountable uh, racial and religious barriers. I mean, gigantic barriers. A Jew would refuse to have anything to do with a Gentile, never go in their house, would not eat food prepared by Gentiles, would not buy meat from a Gentile busher. When a Jew traveled through an area where there were Gentiles, they would be intentional about dusting off all the Gentile dust from their clothes and sandals. They despised one another. And yet one thing that the Jews and Gentiles both agreed upon, and that was their disdain and contempt for the barbarians and Scythians. 
Now, barbarians is a term that was used, a derogatory term for the people that day that were inarticulate and uneducated and unsophisticated. And they were to be avoided at all costs. And the Scythians were this nomadic people, warlike people, who invaded the Fertile Crescent in 7th century BC. And they came in and they just devastated. They were known for their savagery and they were feared and hated. In fact, the Greek historian Herodotus, he wrote this. He described the Scythians this way. He said, Scythians ruled for 28 years and all the land was washed by reason and wasted of their violence and arrogance. They drank the blood of the first enemy killed in battle. and They made napkins of their scalps and drinking bowls of the skulls of the slain. They had filthy habits and never washed. There were also huge barriers between the slaves and the free. In fact, Aristotle describes the view of slaves of that time as being a living tool. But when slaves and free were saved by Jesus... They became one in Christ. And there is a beautiful picture, tragic picture of this in A.D. 2002 when Perpetua, a young, beautiful, noble lady, and Felicitas, a slave girl, both, faced, both of them faced martyrdom together for their faith in Christ. And as wild beasts were released upon them in a Roman amphitheater, they joined hands and slave girl and noble woman together died for their love of their Savior. Now for a moment, could you just picture with me going to a small group in the time of the early church? And here in this assemblage together, you have a Jew, and you have a Gentile, and you have a barbarian, and a Scythian, and a noble person, and a common person, and everybody's there together, united in Christ. And Paul instructed them, to let love unite them, to be patient with one another and to forgive and to love as they were loved by Jesus. And that's exactly what they did. And the world took notice. They were amazed by this. And honestly, when I look around our room, you know, there is a incredible beauty in the variety of backgrounds and education and the stations in life that we come from. We all gather as one. And yet isn't it true <laughs> that when we get into small groups, sometimes we get frustrated because somebody talks too much or somebody has bad breath or somebody eats too much coffee cake, you know? <laughs> and what helped these early Christians to overcome even greater barriers was the clarity of their vision that they were united in Christ, brothers and sisters together, united on a mission to make disciples together. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said this. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what the book of Acts records. It's exactly what it records. The working out of Jesus' mission, the going out and the making of disciples, the spreading of the gospel, the multiplication of his work. And Acts 2, 42 to 47 tells us exactly how it happened. 
It's about a small group of people who come together to live out the life of Jesus together. And through that, they changed the world. And you know what's really exciting about that to me? Is that, you know what? We can do that too. In fact, it's exactly what we're supposed to do. And the resources and power of God are behind us to do it. There's one little quick final thought I want to do before we jump into our passage, and that's this. You know, as we start to read this and go through it, it's going to be really tempting to think to yourself, you know, gosh, I wonder how this relates to me. How do I apply this? And really what I'm hoping for all of us is that we can have a change of perspective and start and stop thinking of things in terms of I and me, and again, completely start thinking about us and we. Because Acts 2 is about us. It's about who we are and what we're to do together, a, a community on a mission. And that mission starts by being a community of devotion, a community of devotion. And so how do we become a community on mission? Here's our first point. We devote ourselves to love and obey God. We devote ourselves to love and obey God. One very dark and foggy night, there was a captain of a warship, and he was leading his crew through these troublesome waters, and and it was so dark and and misty, and he's peering out carefully, looking for danger ahead, and his worst fears came true when all of a sudden he saw ahead there was a light, and it became apparent it looked like they were on a collision course straight dead ahead with another ship, and so the captain quickly, he grabbed his radio And he said, this is Captain Jeremiah Smith. Please alter your course 10 degrees south, over. The object didn't move. The foggy image was just out there. And the radio crackled back. Captain Smith, this is Private Thomas Johnson. Please alter your course 10 degrees north, over. (laughs) And the captain couldn't believe the gall of this young man. I mean, what does he think he's doing? Private Johnson, he said, this is Captain Smith. I order you to immediately alter your course 10 degrees south over. And the reply came back, with all respect, Captain Smith, I order you to alter your course 10 degrees north immediately over. Infuriated, the captain said, Private Johnson, I can have you court-martialed for this. For the last time, I command you in the name of the United States government to alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. The reply came back, Captain Smith, sir, with all due respect, I command you to alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I am a lighthouse. (laughs) You know, we just don't like taking orders from anyone, do we? You know, we hear the word obedience and we think, gosh, that's for dogs, right? We like the word negotiation, right? You know, negotiation. Well, one of the distinguishing characteristics of the early church, one of their great markers was just their childlike, simple, literal obedience to the teachings of Jesus and to the apostles. You see, they didn't feel they needed to have an explanation or understand the reason for a commandment in order for them to do it. They just obeyed it. They figured that they trusted that God's way was always the right way. And they trusted God's majesty and his wisdom and his authority. Proof of this, you know, was the way they accepted persecution. You know, from AD 100 to 313, 
Christianity was illegal all across the Roman Empire. At any time, they were under the sentence of death. And yet, despite all of this, they remained faithful to the call and the mission that God had given them. Acts 2, 42 and 43 says this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and a prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. <laughs> these believers, these early Christians, they expressed their love and devotion by not only hearing God's word through the apostles, but by acting on it. And they prayed intently for God's direction and his wisdom and his will, and they rendered their hearts to be ready to take those orders and go out and do them. You know, community to them was a daily experience of studying God's word together, of sharing meals, of praying and worshiping with great expectation and awe. And God's presence was there with them, around them, and through them. They met in the temple. They met in homes. They understood and they knew that being together was critical to the growth of their faith. In fact, the writer of Hebrews shares with us a great passage that tells us about how our faith is grown in community. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not neglect our meeting together, as, this, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. There is support, encouragement, and growth that we receive in community. It's vital to our life in Christ. It's what it's all about. And if I can dare to tread and be a little bold, for us to do anything short of what God originally intended the Christian life to be, I mean, who are we to do that? The second point is that we devote ourselves to love and sacrifice for others. Love and sacrifice for others. Uh, many of these early Christians, you know, when, when they came to faith in Christ, they lost everything. I mean, they would lose jobs. They would lose family. They'd be disowned. They would lose homes. It, when they embraced Jesus, it was a huge sacrifice for them. And their new brothers and sisters enveloped them into their lives. Acts 2, 44-47a tells us about that. All the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Now, for some of you here today, you know, you're new to faith, maybe uh, you just come to faith in Christ or... Or, or maybe you're just checking out Jesus, and you hear this, and honestly, you, know, you might respond, you know what, if that, if that is what Christianity was, I would want that. And you know what? You'll find shadows of that here. You know, we're honestly, we're working on it. We've got a ways to go, but we're working on it, aren't we? Hmm. See, Jesus wants you to desire that love and connection to others. He wants us to love each other that deeply because he knows that when we do that he becomes visible to the world he says this in john 13 35 he says for your love for one another 
will prove to the world that you are my disciples. There's a, a document that was found. It's, it's dated A.D. 130. It's called the Epistle to Diognetes. And it describes the Christians. It's, a, it's a, a letter that was written describing the Christians of that day. And this is what it says. This is a portion of that letter. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners, as citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as foreigners. They marry, as do all the others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. <laughs> they have a common table, but not a common bed. They're in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the law by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They're reviled and they bless. They're insulted and they repay the insult with honor. They do good and yet are punished as evildoers. They're assailed and persecuted, yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. To sum it all up, what the soul is to the body, that are Christians in the world. That's a beautiful tribute to the early church. You see, what caused faith in Jesus to spread like wildfire was the life of Jesus being displayed in simple everyday people Humble believers whose names have long been forgotten. People that day, they lived in these close tenements, you know. And there weren't a lot of secrets that could happen when you live in coarse quarters like that. And so neighbors watched Christians gather together in sacrificial love to take care of each other, to love one another, and to love them. And faith just spread as neighbors saw this sacrificial love expressed. And how it built up each person, each individual was strengthened and grown and love just grew grew and increased. Ephesians 4, 16 says, He, Jesus, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. <laughs> Sacrificial love should be, you know, it's like a stamp trademark of the Christian life. That's what it ought to be. And there's a great reason for that. You see, our lives are connected to a Savior who embodies sacrifice, who became our sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, a Savior who gave everything, who loved us when we didn't deserve it and when we were most unlovable. If His life is in us, if His heart beats in our chest, then our lives should be a life of sacrifice for others. Point three, we devote ourselves to sharing the gospel every day. We devote ourselves to sharing the gospel every day. The definition of integrity, integrity is to be whole and undivided and constant. And so the idea of being a Christian who lives with integrity is someone who lives to display and demonstrate the gospel each and every day of their life. And when we do that, God is at work in powerful ways. Acts 2, 47b says, And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. 
how exciting that must have been. You see, God's power is unleashed when we come together and serve others in the context of connected, loving community. This uh, past Christmas, my wife, Terry, and I are part of a small group with some very close friends. And uh, we, did, we took it upon ourselves to help out another family that was in need. There was a young family, and uh, some about uh, clothes and toys for the little kids, some for the parents. Some of us got food and goodies, and uh, when we all got together, it was really fun. We spread it out, and there it was, and uh, it was quite a spread. It was exciting to do that together. And some of our group members, uh, they took these gifts to the family on Christmas Eve at a local shelter. And uh, as they showed up, they came back and gave us this report. They got there, and the the family opened the door. And, you know, here's this mom and dad, and there's these two little kids, two and four, right? And they're running around the house in their underwear and screaming, and it's just crazy. And you could tell they've been having, you know, a really rough time. It's been difficult, and uh, they're stressed. And the dad, you know, he, he looks at our friends and he looks at all the gifts and he looks at our friends and he says, you know, why are you doing this? You don't even know us. And in that moment on that Christmas Eve, in that dark night, Jesus became visible. And light came into darkness and Hope was spread. And it's beautiful. And that's just one story. Because I work here. And the week before Christmas, I couldn't get through the hallways. There were so many Christmas baskets. Many of you did that as well. (laughs) And what joy it was and how beautiful it was. And yet I'm still challenged by the question, what if? You know, what if it was more than a delivery? And what if it was an adoption? 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We're Christ's ambassadors. (laughs) We're God's plan. We are his representatives. We've been given his spirit, the spirit of unity and power and love. And he says to us, now go. Go deeper into your community. Go into your state. Go into your country. Go into other countries. Go gather and bring them in. Let's be honest. Lately, our world, it feels incredibly intimidating. It's frightening. We watch the news and the things we see in the images. It's terrifying. And fear drives us to want to keep others out, you know, to, to find a safe place, a secure place where we know each other and, and where we can take care of each other, right? The world's changing so fast. It just feels like there's no safe place. And there's such a desire just to want to huddle up where nothing changes. Don't let anybody in to mess it up. <laughs> I understand it. I'm raising kids in this world. I get it. But I want to challenge it. Because it's not the gospel. See, the gospel is a gospel of movement. It's a gospel of sentness. The father sent his son. The son 
sent his spirit into our hearts. And the spirit sends us out to the world. And the stakes are just too high for us to hide. The consequences of us not sharing this good news with a lost world is too great. You see, the true community happens. True community happens when we are God's people on mission together. And the intimacy and connection that we're truly seeking happens when we're rubbing shoulders together doing God's work. You know, as Pastor Ron started our series last week, you know, toward the end, the, the graphic came up and, and I'm looking at that and it bothered me. Because I'm looking at that, and you know what I saw? I saw a wall. <laughs> I mean, it's a wall. And, I, and, and it just took me back, and I don't know why, but it took me back to some a significant moment as a young man. I remember back in 1987, and, and President Reagan stood in West Germany, and he was talking to a group of West Germans, and behind him was the Berlin Wall, which separated at that time East and West Germany because of communism. There were family members of these West Germans and friends that were on the other side of the wall, and they were separated. And on the other side of the wall were guards and barbed wire and guns, captive friends and family. And I'll never forget when President Reagan stood with determination in his spirit. And he said to the then president of the Soviet Union, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. <laughs> and within a couple years, the wall fell. I remember images of, of these people climbing and ripping that wall apart all over each other. They tore it down. And as corny as it feels right now to me, to be honest, I really believe in my spirit that God would say to us, tear down the wall. Tear down the wall of isolation and get into community. Tear down the wall of protection and invite others in. Tear down the wall of judgment. Tear down the wall of prejudice. Tear down the wall of complacency. Tear down the wall that separates you from being able to fulfill the mission that God has given you. Tear it down. And let's be a church that is unhindered in our mission to serve God in the way that he wants and desires. We can do this together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just, uh, I thank you that you love us enough to, to call us to be your children. And not only that, but you give us the incredible privilege of being your ambassadors to a lost world. And you place the most important mission of all time, of any time. And you've given it into our hands. And God, you've given us the power to do it. And yet... As I said earlier, there's so much insecurity and fear in me, and I imagine in many others as well. So I pray, God, that you overcome our fears, our concerns, our weaknesses, and you help us to be the church that you called us to be. 
and that we would do it for your glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.